Hello, my name is Ryan Broderick, and I am ready to share. Actually, no, I'm not. I was going to say I have a bunch of Loki fan theories, but I don't have any fan theories for the. Oh, wait, I do. Richard E. Grant wait, is going to play. Wait, 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 wait. Have, I have not seen any Loki. What? What do you mean? I'm busy. I've been working a lot. Okay, I have not seen any Loki. This is my co-host, Luke. This is crazy. You're Okay, well, then never mind. All right, I won't share. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the show. This is uh, the first episode of season two of The Content Minds, an arbitrary moment where we decided to reboot the show. There's new music, as you can probably already tell, and we're going to be talking about a big topic this week. It's critical race theory, and we're going to be talking about why no one knows what it is, why it's making everybody really angry, and why the whole thing is pretty dumb. I mean, not critical race theory as an academic practice. But the controversy and the and the hysterical panic around it. But before we get to that, Luke, how's the internet this week? Um, it's been a weird week for the internet. I I I'm trying to come up with a word that accurately describes it, and I think the closest one is is disjointed. Like, yes, yes. It feels like there's no center to it. Yeah, we often talk about the internet as a party. And if I was going to talk about the internet as a party right now, it is uh, like half eight when not most people haven't arrived yet, but just enough people have. And then everyone's trying to like figure out who they know and like what groups they're supposed to be in. And everyone's kind of like bouncing back and forth and not quite getting it right. Yes. Although I suppose we probably should address the fact that we are recording this. Um... Several moments after it was announced that John McAfee, quote unquote, committed suicide in a jail cell in Spain. So the Internet does feel pretty cohesive and crazy right now. But I think all week it has felt very off. It has felt off. I mean, I have a I have another issue with this, which is that it is football time in the in, in the UK, in Europe, which means like 90 percent of things are football. Um like the ads of football, it's it's extremely annoying. Like how I haven't experienced. Well, it's not a World Cup, so America aren't involved, and therefore it doesn't exist to America. I think it's nice that you think that even if it was the World Cup, that would be different. I think that's really <laughs> nice that you think that. Uh, all I know of the Euros is one: it's confusing every time I go to write about it, which has happened a few times because it's the Euros twenty twenty, which is confusing to me. Yeah. Well, they'd already printed the merchandise. Is that really it? Is that why it's? Euros 2020? No one's, no one's given an official answer, but that seems to be it. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, they'd already committed to calling it Euro 2020, and they're like, well, we've, we've made the decision now. We can't but, change it this late. When did it start? Well, it was supposed to be last year, and now it's this year. Oh, is that what it is? So they've just moved... But yeah. will there be a Euros 2021? No, because it's not every year. Oh. It's every four years. So... The World Cup's every four years. The... Euros is every four years, but they're on alternating four-year cycles. So you have a Euros, no tournament, a World Cup, no tournament, Euros, no tournament, World Cup, no tournament. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
We should read some John McAfee posts, I think. I think yes, we should probably do, do that. I want to be clear that I don't think John McAfee was a good person. <laughs> I think no. I want to be really clear that uh, nothing uh, that we are saying is um, endorsing John McAfee's lifestyle of being a libertarian degenerate on the run from international law enforcement agencies. That said, the man was very good at posting. He was very good at Twitter uh, in particular. I had one run-in with him, actually, several years ago when he announced his um, presidential campaign. Yeah. He hired a teenager to run his presidential campaign, and she uh, replaced his Twitter avatar with a character of, uh, I, think, I think it's Joseph Joestar from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is an anime. Which is still his Twitter avatar. Yes. And that teenager uh, did do a DM interview with me, and I believe I sent John McAfee like email stuff to make sure that this was not a troll and he did email me back something incoherent but did confirm that this teenager was working for his presidential campaign it was was the fact that it was incoherent the confirmation that it was real no no, it was like an incoherent yet positive confirmation that like these things were correct yeah what you're looking for is something that is incoherent in john mcafee style exactly like it, it, it i could read it in character and be like, yeah. okay, that sounds like him. And it was from an email address which I was told he used from time to time. So I believe, I, I believe uh, it was him. You think you had contact with him? I believe so. Yes. Okay. So let's let's do some John McAfee tweets here. So we've got, um, you know, you know, he was a lot older than I thought. How old did you think he was? Like his fifties. He was seven. He was in his seventies. Yeah, he was like seventy-five. That's like that's pretty old. Libertarianism keeps you young, <laughs> and and all the other things. I have the tweet here. I have the main John McAfee tweet, the the whale tweet. Yeah. Should I should I read the whale tweet? I think you should read the whale tweet. Enough of the whale fucking is. <laughs> Enough of the whale fucking is non consensual bullshit. A humpback whale weighs seventy thousand pounds, is fifty feet long, can dive more than a quarter mile, and can crush ships with a single swipe of its tail. If a human manages to fuck one, you damn well better believe it's consensual. I mean, it is not surprising that someone of his background has issues with what consent means. Yeah, I mean, that is not surprising in any way. Um, he tweeted a lot about whale sex, actually. It was um, s- sort of, a, sort of a, a passion for him in life. Um, here's another one he wrote. If Bitcoin ever hits $1 million, its market cap would be greater than the GDP of the entire North American continent. What idiot could believe such nonsense? Whale fucking is a thousand times more likely to make its way onto the Olympic stage. I mean, yes, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, hang on. Wait, sorry. Are we not doing the other Bitcoin tweet? Uh, the one where he threatens to eat his own dick? Yeah, because okay. I feel like that's a really You read that one. You read that one. When I predicted Bitcoin at uh, half a million dollars by the end of 2020, it used a model that predicted $5,000 at the end of 2017. Bitcoin has accelerated much faster than my model assumptions. I now predict Bitcoin at $1 million by the end of 2020. I will still eat my dick if wrong. A lot of people in my Twitter mentions are saying that that's why um, he killed himself in jail, because he didn't want to eat his own dick, because Bitcoin didn't hit a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I mean, it was close. 
what Bitcoin reaching a million dollars? Like in terms of growth rate, like had the growth rate maintained? It oh yes, yeah. hey, it could still happen. Who knows? Uh, here's another one: the consensuality of whale fucking has risen its ugly head again. Come on, people. <laughs> Sex with a 30-ton leviathan capable of crushing small boats is either consensual or it didn't happen. I mean, it's this thing of, like, I just don't think think any... Like, I don't want to respond or engage with it, but the entire point is is that the whale didn't notice. What do you mean? The whale has not noticed that it has been fucked by John McAfee. Do you... But, like, do you... I think this is a bit, right? You don't think he actually... No, of course it's a bit. I mean, this is what's so weird about him is that it's, it's... Unclear. Like, oh god, it's so weird that the guy who invented like the annoying antivirus software that doesn't work very well, or, or doesn't work very well now, but I believe used to work very well, is this guy. Like, that's the confusion. Here's another one. Slaves believe what their masters say. Propaganda falsely informs a slave citizen citizenry citizenry. You believe anything authoritative. I wanted to demonstrate and told you I fucked whales. Impossible. Yet it polls, yet in polls, up to 80% believe me. What what polls? Question every belief you hold, and my apologies. I think that's him admitting that he did not fuck a whale. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I, I find it very hard to take him, I don't know. He's an, he's an old crazy man who is now dead. Uh, I think that his all of his tweets were basically bullshit. And I think there's probably more truth in the whale fucking tweets than there was in the uh, ones about running for president. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was trying to actually become president. I don't. I mean, I don't really get his. He he was like a like an extreme libertarian brainwave that like I have trouble understanding like his whole point of view of the world. Um, and I'm sure that everything about his death in prison will be extremely confusing and bizarre. Yeah. And it will only get weirder. Here's a tweet from 2016. I'm doing a Facebook Live conference tonight at 7 p.m. Central. We'll discuss whale fucking, crochet techniques, and politics. Please come. So this has been a thing for him for a while. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a long-term uh, predilection of his. And I don't. I don't. I, it doesn't feel like anyone. It doesn't feel like there was a joke that anyone was not getting. Like the joke was exactly how it sounded. That's right. That's right. Um, and then the most recent thing to just to finish this little this little John McAfee segment here is that one of the last posts he put on his Instagram was a picture of the letter Q. So that's great for everybody. I mean, this is going to tie a lot into our stuff on critical race theory, but I think there is something very interesting in the number of people who like the 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 distance between the people who believe in Q and the people who know that Q is bullshit but are doing it, it for the fun of it and the kind of the gray area in between. And he feels like fully a gray area in between. He was also a hardcore Epstein guy. And yeah. there's there's definitely a contingent of people who are like not quite fully in the like angels are real and the earth is flat level of QAnon, but like support Q because they believe it's tied to Epstein stuff. Also, while we're on Jack John McAfee, we should probably mention that uh, Vice nearly got him killed. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, if you don't know this story, uh, in 2012, Vice interviewed him, uh, and one of the journalists who was with him was took a photo of him and forgot to strip the metadata out of the photo. That's right. Uh, which meant they inadvertently published his lo- exact location, like an extremely exact location. It took him from being a 
guy who lives in another country and says weird shit to guy actively on the run. Uh, like, obviously, he was already a person of interest. He was already being searched for the, I believe at that point, the murder had already happened. The, the guy he who was found, his neighbor who who he yes. who was who was killed. Yes. Um. Yeah. Like it, he was already like on the edge, but that exact moment seemed to be the moment at which he became this extremely strange next phase, the final phase of his life. I mean, in a way, like his whole deal from then to now has sort of mirrored the progression of internet culture where it like the, yeah. the idea that this whole story starts with like eccentric tech guy is interviewed by vice and is, and then is on the run and then is posting Q shit and kills himself in jail. And it's like, if I had to describe what the last two decades of internet use have been like, I would say that's a pretty concise way of thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that John McAfee is the, He's probably the worst person who's done the most damage, who's like a toxic male figure who's been associated with Vice. I can't think of I, anyone worse. I would say that you could really isolate the toxic masculine thread of Vice with John McAfee. And yeah, they're really it doesn't tie to anything larger with that company in any way. No, not at all. Not at all. Anyway, uh <laughs> I've got one I've got one I want to talk about. Uh, okay. and this is gonna go this is gonna go back to football. Um now, this is an internet story, I promise. All of you who skip the football sections of this podcast that I force in against Ryan's will, and he may edit out, I don't know. Uh, I'll put the timestamp of when you start this story and when you end the story in the description so people can skip over the football parts if they want. Great. Perfect. So, uh, Tottenham are looking for a new manager. Uh, they are doing very badly at it. Everyone they want uh, is saying publicly they don't want to go to Tottenham, and it's a bit of a mess. But Last uh, Wednesday, actually, as, as we were recording the podcast, uh, a new person hit the stage of being like the person who's going to be uh, uh, the, the manager. And it was a guy called Gennaro Catuso, who is A, a bad manager, and B, kind of a crappy person. Like, he's done an awful lot of homophobic stuff, done a lot of sexist stuff, done a lot of racist stuff. Um, and therefore, the, the fandom was split on him, let's say. Uh now, what was fascinating about that, though, is that there is a specific Tottenham Discord, which I'm part of, which has not all that many members, uh, 150, 200. Uh, okay. And they pretty much were like, we hate this. We really, really hate this. Uh, and said, right, what we're going to do is at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or whatever it was, uh, we're all going to tweet the same thing, which is no to Katusa, no to this manager. And that's like, think about it. That's not a lot of people. No, and we've talked about wait we we've talked about this before, right? Where like football fans will all just tweet the same thing. Yeah, they will, and I've I'm not particularly engaged in it, so I often assume that it's happening. But I, it was the first time I've seen it happening from kind of the ground up. But this one particular Discord decided to start it, and they did it, and they all tweeted it at the same time, and you know it's probably two hundred tweets, maybe two hundred pe- people, maybe, but was then big enough that a bunch of other people picked it up. Uh, so that goes from. Uh, Asted Herndon at the Washington Post, uh, who picked it up. Oh, okay. Times now, seen York Times. Uh, to uh, Coldplay, to oh. Base Hunter, <laughs> uh, who all have like Tottenham connections. But as a result, like it trended. It was you know the top trend in the UK for a while, uh, and then the next day it was announced that the manager would not be hired. Wow, that was very yeah. fast. That's actually that's like an incredibly fast turnaround. Yeah, and it's not totally clear like how much of an impact it was. It's likely there were other reasons contributing to it, but certainly in the immediate hours afterwards, uh, a lot of the reporting suggested that it had an impact. 
like obviously uh, uh, like the full board need to sign off on this and the fact that they were saying wow there is a, a huge volume of people tweeting at us saying we hate this and all of our fans are saying we hate this seems to have had some sort of impact you know maybe it was the straw about camel's back maybe it was just like one little extra weight on the camel's back but it seems to be that it had some sort of impact and i just think that's fascinating given how small the initial group was because something like a billion dollar company but like how many fans are there of tottenham like 100 200 people probably <laughs> i mean this they, they fill their 60 70 000 seat stadium and globally it's probably a million i I'd assume i kind of ballpark figure i mean it sort of ties into this thing that i i've been having a lot of trouble with this year in particular and it's been like an issue forever and i remember i actually remember when this first started where um like i was doing sort of like the viral social news beat at one point and i was kind of like a strict purist about this where i believed that like there needed to be a certain amount of people for it to be worth writing about because it wasn't really interesting unless there was a lot of people sure and then a, a lot of other you know, young writers in their 20s started cranking out these stories for like giant corporations as well. And I remember a few times being like, wait, you can't write about that one. There's not enough people doing that. And I had this like thing in my head where I was like, <laughs> you can't, you can't write about that hashtag. It needs to be big. Yeah. I was like, you can't write about that hashtag. It's, it's not big enough for the, it to uh, mean that it should be a news story. And then I noticed that other people started doing this even harder where they would like dig into more niche and niche hashtags. And then it, it sort of felt like post 2016, a lot of reporters started digging into like the smallest, tiniest internet trends, but then like latching on to like a right wing thing and being like, Oh, here's like three guys. And they all wear like a Paul Revere hat in this Facebook group. <laughs> and like, we've got to shut this thing down. And, 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 I had a similar feeling where I was like, well, why do I give a shit about like these three racists doing this weird thing? Like, why don't we care more about like all of the other things? And then this year in particular, it feels like the wheels on the wagon have completely fallen off. And now it's like, if you have 20 people all saying the same thing on the internet, you can get somebody else to write about that. And then that triggers like a content cycle that if... If it's a slow enough day or if it's an easy enough story to cover for people, it will just spin out of control. And it's made things very confusing because, like, you know, you can get 20 people on the Internet to say anything. Like, I can find 20 people on the Internet who are really into Shrek's feet. That's not a trend story. That's just 20 people who are really (laughs) going for Shrek's feet. Like, I'm surprised you only find 20. Oh, I can. Uh, (laughs) Oh, for for Shrek's feet. Come on. I can find at least at least two dozen. Yeah, exactly. But I, th- I think it's interesting. And this is a really good example of like both how a small number of people can launch something like very effectively. Like we, we, we've done this a few times, the idea that the internet can be manipulated very easily, like it can be yanked on its chain. And a, a lot of the story of 2014 to 2017 was the fact that people figured out uh, how to just yank the internet on its chain and do it again and again and again uh, and be able to manipulate it. And obviously, I've known this stuff still exists, but being saying it from conception to the end point was fascinating as being like, oh, wow, this really can be yanked on a thread. Like, it, it's so easy to do. Just get enough people who are committed to something, and it's not that many people. And yeah, you, you can really set things moving. Yeah, it's it's very strange that companies are still doing this because... It's more work, unless there's something about running a company that, like, look, I don't 
I own a company technically. It's a newsletter. <laughs> like it's not a real <laughs> thing. Like, you know, it's not a football club yet. Although I would buy a football club. That would be fun. So I don't know if it's easy or not, but I assume it must be harder to cave to Twitter pressure than not. Unless there's something about the way that like the chain of information to the top of like the pillars of, of corporate uh, world work where it's actually easier to just be like, oh, we see this on Twitter. We should probably do something. But m- my thought would be like, why bother? Like, why? and like, not, I'm, and I'm not saying that like these things are bad or they're good. I'm just like, I, I purely from like a, a laziness standpoint or just like a, like, why is this happening? Like why bother? Well, I think a big, I think a big part of it is that people aren't necessarily used to the immediacy of feedback. So feedback happens very quickly, and suddenly everyone's angry, and you're like, "Oh my god, we have to put this fire out." When like the reality is, if you zoom out, often the fire is quite small, but people do cave to it in a way that's like, you know, maybe it's good. Like maybe you know you can pressure people into not partnering with <laughs> companies that sell uh weapons to saudi arabia or, or whatever it might be uh and there's like stuff that can be pressured people into but generally those companies are the exact ones who can't be pressured like raytheon has never gone oh no there's a twitter storm against us we shall not sell these weapons i um, uh, i will take down raytheon with a good tweet i will <laughs> that i will tweet something really mean to Raytheon. But actually, no, this does tie into something I learned about recently. I have a friend of mine who's worked uh, as like a data engineer for huge companies for almost a decade. And his main yeah. job is like building the systems that manage like things that you think companies know, but it turns out most companies don't know, like how many of their products make it to the shelf when being shipped <laughs> to a grocery store. And you think like, oh, a like... A food company must know how many of their chickens make it to the grocery store, but at a certain scale, they don't. And they just have really bad data management. And so they they give my friend these like broken 30-year-old data systems that they built in the 90s or whatever it is, and then he has to rebuild them for them. That's good. That's a fun job. Because, yeah, I think I think a huge amount of the way the world does not work is just that no one is looking at a dashboard that says this is where it went went wrong. But also just like you'd be shocked at like, you know, Tyson Chicken doesn't know how many chicken fingers it it really moved. Yeah. It has like a vague idea in terms of money received, but I think it speaks to like data rot at in giant companies and Twitter outrage is actually like a really it's a good and bad sentiment analysis. It is like you have the exact amount of people expressing the exact sentiment right there in front of you. So you can look at it and you can see it. And I wonder if a lot of these big companies are like, wait a minute, people are at, mad at us. We got to do something because literally they've never known up until the, the moment of the Twitter frenzy what people thought about them. And they've never cared to look. Well, ironically, the exact opposite is also the case, though, that many companies figure out the number and go, that's fine. So yes. Yes. Amazon, I don't know if you saw this story that happened in the UK the other day, but Amazon, ITV News did a story on how Amazon is destroying literally millions of items of just unsold stock because they have it set up so that if you are a retailer and you give them and you are, you know, you produce widgets and you give them 100 widgets and they sell 80 of those widgets in the three months contract you've got, they can say... Right, so your option are we'll charge you 25 pence a month to store each widget or three pence and we'll destroy them all and then you have to pay any more. And the company's going like, I, I guess destroy them. Like, 
we're not selling them, we'll destroy them. And so as a result, there's vast, Amazon is just crushing, like in, in, in vats, millions and millions of goods a year, like good stuff, like vacuum cleaners, like MacBooks. What? Uh, like, yeah, like, like big, expensive 30, 40%, like 30, 40, 500 quid fans and stuff like this. A COVID masks was one of the big ones. They they destroy like thousands and thousands of masks because they've not sold them. And for various reasons, they're just like, we've only got two of these left. We're not selling them in the right time. We're going to destroy them. They're throwing millions of pounds worth of goods a year. That's just crazy. Just because they can't. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And it's exactly the sort of thing where they've just kind of like figured out, oh, the numbers kind of make sense. So we'll just destroy them instead. Okay, this actually brings me to something I wanted to talk about. The, um, the sheer amount of news agencies running Amazon Prime Day stuff this year feels like something notable. Yeah. Um like in a way where like it was just it was everywhere and I, I don't know if it's because like a lot of people on Twitter in particular are way more sensitive to this stuff than they were like 3 or 4 years ago or it's just that like the advertising duopoly has finally shit the bed so much that like every website on earth has to carry affiliate link traffic but it felt huge this year i mean maybe in the us i didn't feel in the uk so much uh also i run a website and full disclosure we do amazon prime stuff uh and i will kind of happily defend it i think um like it's the sort of thing that is like it would be nice not to do it but if you look <laughs> at the um paragons of journalistic integrity you look at the new york times or whatever the new york times has the wire cutter and the new wire cutter is a money like it's Hand of, they're making money. It's yeah, hand money. over fist because they are doing you know affiliate links. You know we are not the New York Times. We don't have that sort of scale because <laughs> they are the Borg of journalism right now. Um, I would say I a monopoly, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say they're a news monopoly, but yeah. But uh, but I don't I don't think that there's any particular reason why it's wrong. And a lot of people come in and be like, "Well, it's disgusting that this one company has this successful thing," and it's like. Right, so your problem really is Amazon then? Like, I find it really hard to criticize news companies who notoriously have an extremely hard job making their profit lines work, while Amazon has an extremely easy job making their profit lines work. And that's kind of the problem. The problem is that Amazon is... Your your problem with news companies covering Prime Day in a way that makes the money is not that news companies are doing it. It's that Amazon is too big to ignore. And I can tell you as someone who has seen analytics reports for websites, uh, publishers, people fucking love lists of deals. <laughs> they do. People, they do. like, I, I kept seeing, like, tweets where people would screenshot, like, the top stories widgets on different news sites through the week and be like, I can't believe that this is all the top stories. And it's like, I hate to break it to you, man, but, like, People fucking love discounts. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> I mean, I should also say, like, I think we've done, like, two Amazon Prime stories, maybe three. Like, we're not big into it. it, it we know that it's not, like, exactly what we want to do. But... Also, I will say, I will say as an American who's lived over there, Amazon culture in general in the UK is not nearly as crazy as it is in America. I mean, it might have picked up a bit after the pandemic, but... But, like, yeah, th there's, I, I, like, an entire cultural thing in America of, like, Amazon. And and I actually missed that transformation between 2015 and 2019, I guess. Because when I came back, I was, like – I mean, people would make fun of me 
because I didn't just order random things I needed off Amazon. I would like go to a store to buy them. <laughs> and that was like a weird thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't personally really buy anything from Amazon. I think the only things I buy from Amazon are like kind of weirdly specific things where I don't know the store I'd go to. Like if I need a specific cable or something and I don't want to walk around a Curry's. Or- Halfway through the pandemic, I bought two pairs of sweatpants from Amazon. Sure. Good investment. So we we got a big topic. I think we got to we got we got to dive in. Let's talk about critical race theory. first time you remember hearing the phrase critical race theory so i have two big moments of kind of when this appeared i don't really remember the first time i heard it in kind of like academia it wasn't a thing that i ever heard of like in in university i studied uh like like solid half my course was like america between 1880 and 1839 uh, sorry, 1865 and 1839 in the end, because uh, I did different topics, including actually a, a, an entire like year on the clan, and I never heard critical race theory, which is the sort of course you would expect to hear it in if it was a thing then. So I'm guessing that 13 years ago it wasn't a thing. Then I vaguely remember hearing it as a kind of it was floating around the US, kind of like a. a th- a side note to the Fox News ecosystem of things that they hate. Uh, but it was not like a big thing, uh, which obviously then became a final thing, uh, which was the... Actually, I say 2017, it was the, the big moment of kind of... that I think put a lot of it together was the um, Rennie Edo Lodge book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of defined it, although I actually... Genuinely thinking back, and I don't actually know if it even used the term, but that was very much the. It feels like the most accessible book that explains what it is. That and uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, White, White, White Fragility by Robin D. Uh, Robin D'Angelo. And then, however, there was a very clear moment when it became a thing in the UK, and this might really interest you because I suspect you haven't heard about it. Uh, which was October 2020, which was right after it started to get a little bit of a spike in the US it was suddenly brought up in the House of Commons in the UK. Like a minister just went like, yeah, a minister just went like, "Um, we will get rid of critical race theory in schools. And I remember being, because I was on the news desk in time, and I remember being like, that's a left field call. Okay. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, October 2020, the pandemic was spiking again quite badly. And then suddenly it was like, yes, the problem is critical race theory. And it was very strange. And I remember thinking that at the time being like, this is a extremely left field take. Yeah, it's interesting. I so I I I, I did sociology uh in college. Uh and so I was I was very shocked when I looked up the definition of critical race theory to be like, oh, it's just basic sociology. Okay, interesting. It's basic <laughs> sociology applied to history. Uh, that's and I think it's actually deeply fascinating. I, I read I have read a lot about it as it's become more popular on the right to hate. And I think it's really cool and fascinating. And I want to sort of define it before we go any deeper. It is essentially the idea that you could reanalyze, recontextualize, reinterpret, reunderstand 
history, particularly American history, but you can do it with pretty much any kind of history, where you view that history through modern understandings of social justice and systemic racism and class inequality. It's not new. It's very, it's, it's very Frankfurt school. Like it's yeah. very, it has, it's heavily influenced by Marxism. I mean that in terms of genuine academic Marxism, not <laughs> Marxism. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but here's an example of exactly like how, how not new this is. At my all boys Catholic high school that I went to, you had to do a semester of what was called social justice and you had to do a semester of what was called social action. You did actual, you did an actual semester on like social justice. So I'm, yeah, let me explain. So it's really interesting. Uh, I went to a, a fairly liberal Catholic school, so we we, we learned evolution. We learned all of it. <laughs> that's the mark of a that's the mark of a yeah. progressive Catholic school. We learned evolution. Uh, yeah, we learned evolution, um, which was super great. I understand how dinosaurs work now. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> um, but then you would do charity under social action, and then social justice uh, was a really interesting course taught by uh, a brother, like a like a, a monk, a teaching monk. Yeah. And it was about uh, liberation theology and Christian understandings of social justice and, like, how it would work, uh, you know, in, like, communist countries, how it worked in different revolutions. And it was sort of about, like, the political aspects of what social justice is. And a lot of the stuff that I've seen kind of included under the banner of critical race theory is actually stuff that I learned in high school tying together with, like – Catholic understandings of social justice, um, which I thought was, I think is very fascinating and, and kind of speaks to how stupid all of this is uh, in terms of the, the the hysterical panic. In terms of the, the, the phrase critical race theory, I remember Trump mentioning it last fall, right before it popped up in the UK for you. And I remember kind of being like, what's that crazy old man talking about? Everyone's so <laughs> sick from COVID. Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? And where did, and then part of me was like, like when my, you know, older family members mention something bizarre out of nowhere. I'll be like, where did you hear that from, President Trump? Where did that where did that phrase pop into your head? And it has then spread consistently since. Uh, I looked through Garbage Day and I mentioned it for the first time on March 29th, and it has sped up quite a bit. Um, and just to do like a really quick TLDR on like what is happening with this thing. There are some prominent Republican strategists that are using the confusing banner term of critical race theory as a way to kind of like suck up any leftist progressive cause, claim it's critical race theory, claim it's actually a way to make white people feel bad for being white, say it shouldn't be taught in schools, explain to children or mentioned in the workplace. And it's, and it's sort of like, um, you ever play the game Katamari Damacy? No. Okay, it's a really great game where you're like a little man and you have a ball and you push the ball around and as the ball gets pushed around, it it picks up things and you start really small and then it starts picking up bigger and bigger things until your ball is so big that you're picking up buildings and uh, oceans and then like celestial systems. That's critical race theory. Critical race theory is a Republican Katamari for just any bullshit they want to demonize and confuse people about. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is a term, uh, it actually has a lot of similarities and, and links with uh, cultural Marxism. Like the yes. idea that there is this thing. And obviously cultural Marxism also has some inherently anti-Semitic um, overtones or undertones. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has They're some, just uh, tones. They're just tones. It's, it's anti-Semitic yeah. tones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I... It is therefore kind of wild to look at this this broadly, slightly esoteric academic idea 
which is interpreting it in one way. And I think, you know, I don't think anyone's come up with it. Like, it, it, it's hard to define, like, the people who came up with it as being, you know, activists. Obviously, they were civil rights advocates. Yeah, I probably could call them civil rights activists now, now, I've, now I've said it. But it is also a an academic interpretation of it. It is not a thing that can be taught. It's... It, it's it's so bizarre to say you should not teach critical race theory because I do not believe the phrase critical race theory has been mentioned in a British school. Like, I don't know about America, maybe, but I don't believe it's been mentioned in a British school before about a year ago. Dude, it's not being mentioned here either. For, for no right. way. I mean, it's 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 an obscure term and it's and it's it's also like like it's it's not a useful term for a teacher to use. And it's not to say it's no. a bad term. It's just like if you're going to learn critical race theory, it, it, it requires such a like dense intersection of things t- to be understood to get it that you're not learning that. You're learning history. You're learning like the racism of history. You're learning the history of racism in America and, <laughs> I, and the and the racism of history. And you're learning uh, you're learning all these disjointed things that. No one's going to teach you critical race theory. It's a, it's an impossible thing to ban. Yeah, because it's it's like banning, I don't know, uh, great man historiography or uh, the. And if you're teaching English, like the the Romantic poets movement, because it's like I mean, sure, you can technically not teach those people who did that, but you can't then go on to the next stage and be like, this is like the. You can't like talk about William Blake and be like, yeah, and he did, he was unrelated to the Romantic poets. That's just, just you know, not the same thing. And it's like because it it's just linked. It's it's intrinsically linked into things, and it's an interpretation of how you look at stuff. Not a, it's not a set of facts. And I think that's I, that's actually probably what it it is. Is that it is being treated as a set of facts that you know people are children are starting the the year, and even children or teenager, whatever it might be, they're starting the year with by saying like, okay, the facts are. White people bad, uh, colonization bad, uh, and intersectionality good, and that's like not it. That's no one's. No one has laid that out. It is a not it, theory no. upon which you interpret history. One of many theories. Like I remember, you know, doing a lot of this stuff, and history is a, probably a good comparative for this because it goes through like bursts of like twenty years where it's like uh, there's the great man theories of history where it's you know all. Um, yeah, it's it, the only thing we talk about is is the single actors in history who defined it, and then there's uh, uh, postmodernist history where it's all about movements, and there's Marxist history, it's all about class conflict, and none of those theories of history really explain the whole thing. Like they all in, explain bits and pieces of it and different prisms to look at it through, and that's exactly what critical race theory is, which is why it becomes so completely like weird to say you need to ban this way of looking at something. Like that's not good teaching. I want to I want to share this clip because I think it's it's both a really cool moment and also like a very good way of sort of like thinking about all of this. So is this it the is general? the yeah. So this is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, and he said this uh, during a hearing with the House Committee on Armed Services uh, on Wednesday, and I feel like it's a really interesting way of thinking about this. I do think it's important, actually. Uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university, uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. uh, And I want to understand white rage. 
and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And I respect your service, and you and I are both Green Berets. But I want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. Now, I will say, and we discussed this a little bit in the Garbage Day Discord this week, his reasons for wanting to read about critical race theory are deeply ominous because <laughs> it's for him, it's to understand probably the enemy. But I think the fact that he is passionately defending the ability to even teach what, what it is to, to, to like cadets is interesting because it, I think it also speaks to how just like, and you, you can't tell this from the audio that I just played, but as he was talking, Matt Gates was having a complete fucking like bitch meltdown like pee pants syndrome nonsense so yeah like i think it's just really clear how much of a smokescreen this is but i wanted to luke i wanted to send you some interesting stuff here about how this has been spreading and i know you probably just haven't gotten around to reading garbage day about this i know it's probably just in your saved bookmarks <laughs> but here is a really interesting chart that was put together uh by Kevin Rooning, the assistant professor of political science at Miami University. And it shows basically just like the crazy spread of critical race theory related content on local Facebook pages. Right. So, yeah, this chart basically shows up until, uh, what is that, mid, late March, even? Late, late March just wasn't a thing. And then there was a spike. And then now it's all anyone can talk about. And I think what's really interesting is this second chart that sort of adds to the picture here which is where is it so check check this out this is from uh a political science professor at colorado state university named dominic stecula okay um right so uh yeah this chart shows a similar thing that you know the media is talking about it more and more and more and in January this year, the number of stories involving critical race theory was essentially zero, and in uh, May, late May, it was more than 750, uh, which means, yeah, more than 7,000 stories mentioned critical race theory, which is, yeah, it's, it's not a thing. It's not, it's not, a th uh, yeah, I, 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 I know I sound extremely frustrated with it, because it is just one of these things where it's so hard to explain this in any way that is remotely useful because <laughs> yeah you feel stupid when you talk about it and that's what brings me to my next little piece here 
This is a tweet from uh, Christopher Rufo. He's from the Manhattan Institute. And in March, he wrote, we have successfully frozen their brand, quote unquote, critical race theory into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. And then what's even more interesting is that Christopher Rufo in September 2020 wrote a wrote about it on Fox News, okay? And yeah. then shortly afterwards, that's when it came out of Trump's mouth. Okay. So really we're saying that, you know, Trump is the one who caused it. What I'm saying is Christopher Rufo and the Manhattan Institute found a banner word for all of the bullshit they hate, fed it into the Fox News machine, hoping that Trump would say it out loud. He did. And now it is spread like wildfire. And now they're just like stoking it as it like just burns crazier and crazier. And as it, as of the recording of this right now, there are over 20 states in America that are trying to ban it, quote unquote, somehow, whatever the fuck it is, from schools and, and workplaces. I mean, this is the most frustrating thing about it. And it's the bit that really... It makes the entire thing into such a toxic mess, which is that they are trying to ban something which is unbannable. Like, you might as well say that the air in classrooms is not allowed to contain any helium. Like, <laughs> sure. Okay. That's I don't fine. think there should be any helium in schools. I want my children to be completely helium safe. Exactly. But it's just one of these things that is not, it's not possible. You can't ban it because it's not a thing that was there. Actually, my friend once did really like really huff on a helium balloon, like just in like just just huffed it because he wanted to get his voice really high. And I guess like something happened because then he blacked out and he slammed his head on the counter and then and then passed out on the floor. That's good. That's yeah. fun. Well, you're not supposed to breathe it in. You're supposed to bring it into your mouth. Like you're not supposed to inhale it. No. Like you just bring it into. Is that like a? Is that like a jewel? No. You know, just like. Oh. Well, this is what Republicans are doing with critical race theory. They're inhaling the helium. <laughs> um, because yeah, they're it, inhaling the helium and knocking themselves out. Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. It's a perfect metaphor. But I, I think it also, to like sort of widen our lens here about critical race theory, is I think it's pretty much going to be the main blueprint for post-Trump. It's just like drum up some bullshit that everyone's mad about and then talk about it while you spread stuff on Facebook about it and just get everybody just into like a frenzy and they're so confused and angry that but they don't know what they're even conf like angry about. And like, I was watching videos today of parents being physically removed from town halls because they were demanding that their children stop learning critical race theory, but nobody knows what it is. Like nobody can even explain what the children are learning. Yeah. I, I would be tempted if I was a school board to say, yes, we have banned critical race theory <laughs> and yeah. just be done with it. And to be like, I'm sorry, everyone's yelling at us. They're really mad. We're just going to ban it and know that no one knows enough about it to say this is critical race theory. I think that's the best. I think that's the best idea is like, I get, I mean, American schools aren't good enough to teach critical race theory. It's a complicated <laughs> academic practice. There, there's just no if 12 public... Year olds, if 12-year-olds in America were being were of an advanced enough level to be taught critical race theory, <laughs> America would have a lot fewer problems. Yes! If education standards in America were good enough at public schools to actually teach critical race theory, 
we wouldn't even be having this problem. <laughs> like, Look, after the chil- after the children walk through the gun the gun detectors uh, and do the drills about what happens if there's an active shooter in the school. Between those times, they learned critical race theory, and critical race theory is the problem. No, no, no. Hold on, you 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 got it wrong. The children still unvaccinated from COVID and not allowed to wear masks because the Republican senator has banned them have to go to a hybrid Zoom school, non-Zoom school setup. On the non-Zoom days, they walk through the metal detectors. Some of them are stopped because many of them are in debt from school lunch programs, which is a thing here. Sure, sure. The, the ones that don't have school lunch debt get to actually go into the classroom where they then open textbooks that definitely aren't from 30 years ago, a very accurate and up-to-date version of critical race theory. <laughs> Before doing some active shooter drills. Before having to do lockdown drills, yes, that's what that's what we call them, lockdown drills. Lockdown drills. Okay, cool. I had yeah, I had so, to do know, them in high school. <laughs> the real problem. The real problem there is the critical race theory <laughs> from the textbooks that are, are older than the the, the theory itself. I, mean, I, I think I, actually it was the nineteen seventies, so borderline. Yeah, I think I think that's we've really identified the real problem with America's schools. It's critical race theory. Yeah. What do you think is next for this? Because obviously they can't keep doing, they can't keep beating the critical race theory drum. It has to reach some sort of conclusion. So, like, I don't think what it comes does. after this. Like, no? I, I think no, I think you're thinking about this in terms of politics. When really should be thinking about this in terms of viral cycles, and like the things that were viral, like it's like asking what stopped X being viral two weeks ago. Yeah, it didn't really stop. It just. It slowed down and then something else happened and everyone forgot about it. Yeah. Like, it'll be one of the things that is on all the Republican local candidates and probably a lot of the, the um, national level candidates where they're saying, we're banning critical race theory. And no one's really going to know what it is, but it'll become a a thing. And, like, in the next presidential debates, critical race theory will be mentioned. There'll be a question on critical race theory. And the Democrat will say something like, we will get the... Uh, all our children the great education they deserve and we will solve the gun crisis. And the Republican candidate will say critical race theory is a crisis uh, and no one will settle anything because no one's really answered the question. Yeah, and I also think they're laying the groundwork for other like decentralized panic movements. Like I could see the exact same scenario happening with trans people in bathrooms. Like I could see a situation where Local Republican Facebook groups start talking about trans people using bathrooms in restaurants. It spreads. And it ends, and it ends up the same way as it always does with uh, butch women being attacked in bathrooms. Yes. Or, and, and a bunch of very bad pieces written in England about it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that I think is interesting for our many British listeners who are our most valuable listeners. Um, That's right. Uh, I think it is fascinating the way that... British conservative politicians pick up things that are happening in America and are just wrong about them. Like they are addressing, they are like in a way that is, um, they are addressing these problems in uh, basically most British people are not in tune with American politics. A small number of, uh, British people are who are the, the nerds, but also, you know, the most engaged politicians. Political people, many of whom are MPs, not all MPs. Many, many of them are not engaged, but most MPs are relatively engaged in, in, you know, global politics and American politics. 
But because of the way that they follow things and the way that this stuff becomes international, a lot of British MPs and a lot of British politicians now kind of follow American leads on stuff. And okay. in a lot of these cases, it just doesn't make sense because we just have different systems. Like, it would be mad for, like, in Britain to get mad about the cost of health insurance because we don't have health insurance. Uh, <laughs> but we have we have similar... Well, we do have health insurance, but it's a different system. But we have nationalized, socialized healthcare. But we have also, we have just this general other issue where people and particularly British politicians, and it's so annoying that they yeah, they take American political things like critical race theory and declare that this is a problem. And it's like, sorry, can we jump back here because that's not a thing that's happening in the UK? Right. Uh, so yeah, you end up, they end up declaring war on basically an American thing that doesn't exist in the UK and then we spend a month debating the problems with it. Yeah, and I assume that like what will happen with this new... I'm going to give it a name. I'm going to give it like, it's like decentralized Trump, right? Like they're replacing one crazy spigot of bullshit with thousands of little ones with the hope that if they can coordinate it, it will like, it will trend. That's what they're doing now. And I assume that like what happens with this right now will probably mirror exactly how far right groups around the world were mimicking Trump as well. So, you know, we're going to have all kinds of weird like astroturfing movements in Southeast Asia, we're going to have like a bunch. I mean, we've already got like El Salvador and Bitcoin happening and that whole <laughs> nonsense, which if you're interested in listening more about it, go to patreon.com slash the content minds and check out the interview I did with uh, Christina Lopez G from Data and Society about Bitcoin in El Salvador. It's on our Patreon. But th- th- I think we're, we're, we're just going to see this thing happen everywhere in the same way that it, it happened four years ago. And this version is much more confusing to the point where, like, you and I have dedicated 45 minutes to talking about it, and it's extremely, extremely difficult to talk about. Like, yeah. I can't, like to explain what it is everyone's mad about and what it is that they're trying to ban takes almost an hour. Yeah, it does. It does. It's, 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 yeah, it's very frustrating. And it's, it's, it's also, it, it feels, the, the whole thing feels ludicrous because, it is specifically, we have come up with a term to sum these things that we don't like. These things that we don't like may or may not be happening, but we're furious about them anyway. Uh, and that's kind of all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that they've become actual laws in certain places. Yeah. That's the scariest thing, is that like angry Facebook garbage has become law in places. They're, they're, they're furious that people won't sell them the invisible trousers. <laughs> Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and of course, the people they're talking to are not trouser salesmen or invisible trouser salesmen. They're just an innocent bystander, and they're screaming them to sell them the, the invisible trousers. And they eventually go like, "Fine, fine, you can have the invisible trousers." Uh, no, no, wait. Angry. I think it's worse. It. They're trying to ban the sale of invisible trousers. Yes. And everyone's that going like, "What invisible? What invisible trousers?" And like, "I want to ban them." <laughs> and eventually, they're like, "Sure, we'll ban the invisible trousers." <laughs> consumed any content to stay sane this week uh can i talk about some organic content like food you're eating no like Um, gardening no 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 uh, organic content was a bad way to put it 
uh, and some ortho- ornithological content. Content. Birds? Are we talking about birds? Yeah. Have you become so, a bird watcher? No, but there are these swans uh, in the river near me. Uh, and like last year, they they had like a load of like swan babies, cygnets, uh, and we spent the year like watching them grow up uh, as they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they turned into swans and they flew off and they're in the, the pond down the road now. And now the swans uh, in the Van Aar River uh, have spent the last like month on a, this massive nest, like swans build huge nests, like they build fortress nests. Okay, uh, and they've been they've been sitting on these eggs, and as of uh, two days ago, uh, the eggs hatched, and the small swans are out, and so now I can watch the more swans grow up. Wow, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm yeah. I'm yeah. I was just really excited and really emotional when the new swans got built, got born because I was like worried that they were not going to get born, they were going to uh, the the eggs had not been properly fertilized, that the the weather was weird and, and killed them off but no they all got born they're all swimming up and down the river now tiny little fluffy swans it's great that's amazing i'm very happy for you and your swans uh how about you what content have you consumed to stay sane i i have been watching loki but i haven't watched this week's yet as of recording this episode i'm gonna do that right after we record but i totally binged my way through season two of a netflix show called black summer okay it's fascinating so it was created by the guy who made this absolutely terrible like borderline unwatchable zombie show for the sci-fi channel in america and the show was called z nation and it was kind of like a wacky like a wacky zombie show okay (laughs) right and then they got some money to do a netflix show because z nation was kind of popular in reruns on netflix and they made the show called black summer and black summer is the most brutal like realistic portrayal of a zombie crisis you could make and it's it's big thing is like huge unbroken takes like crazy stunts well how long how long how long how long do you mean how long is the take we're talking like seven to ten minutes long sometimes wow okay and the show is really interestingly put together because it's done in vignettes so like every episode is like six different little vignettes with like a title card but it tells one story but it's done in like tiny little segments and it plays with time. So like you might see like a couple on the run, they break into a store and then you might find out like a couple vignettes later, like what happened outside the store. And the other thing about the show is that like the characters are normal people. So none of them can do headshots. Right. Okay. So they're just shooting randomly a crowd of things until something goes right. Yeah. Like there's a whole episode where one guy is just trapped in a pharmacy because there's one zombie and he can't kill the zombie because he's just like a normal guy. And so the he's whole missing the head. Exactly. So the whole story is just him just like stuck in this pharmacy. And the second season, it's it's progressed a little further in the timeline. And what is really fascinating is that like The Walking Dead eventually becomes like Comic-Con style where like you can cosplay as Walking Dead characters and people like know who you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Black Summer is using the visual language of like refugee camps. Oh. They have like trash bags full of bottles and they're like just struggling to like eat. And so if you're looking for like a very brutal and it's it's not it's not the smartest show, but it's like if you're looking for a zombie show that's just like, okay, like there's no frills here. Um I I really like it. And I I really want to see a third season because the, the second season is all about basically just a bunch of people trying to get to a plane. And it's just how complicated that would be to get to an airfield in yeah. the middle of winter and a zombie apocalypse. It's very well done. That is interesting. I'm into this. I, I may, I may watch this. Wow. That's actually, a, I think that's the a, a first for this show. 
I mean, I really like grimdark stuff. Like, if everyone, if it feels like everyone's going to die at all times, that's like that's my jam. Oh yeah, no, this show literally, that's it. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. There is no transition here. We have <laughs> we we have one thing to announce. Speaking of things that should have died a long time ago. <laughs> Speaking of things that should have died a long time ago, Luke and I have a little surprise for you guys. We are going to see the newest Fast and the Furious movie this weekend. And we will be releasing a post-post-credit scene this weekend, which means we will start our next franchise two weeks from now. But you will get an end to our Fast and the Furious journey. Also... In sequence. In sequence. We're, we're going to do it. We're, we, we've, we've managed to do it. I'm very excited. Also, if you do not subscribe to us on Patreon, I've unlocked all the Fast and the Furious episodes for post-post-credit scene. Go check them out. If you like that show, if you like the whole deal... You know, subscribe. It's five bucks a month. Uh, we also now have a yearly one that's like a little cheaper. Uh, we will be doing The Matrix and Spider Man next, so we've got some cool stuff for the rest of the year. But we're gonna we're gonna finish this journey. We're gonna we're gonna drive the the last quarter mile here, uh, which I think should be really interesting. Um, I'm gonna go to a movie theater for the first time in uh, in f- uh, 15 months, I think. What were the last? What was the last movie that you saw in theaters, Luke? She's gross. I mean, it was almost definitely a Marvel movie. What was the last Marvel movie? Uh, Spider Man. Yeah, I think it was Spider Man. Do you do you want to know my last three movies I saw? Because they're really good. All right, hit me. Wait, here's my last four movies because they're really really good. Cats. Okay. Parasite. Sonic the Hedgehog. Parasite again. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> four incredible trips to the movies. But yes, I am going to uh, I'm going to do this. This is going to be very fun, and I'm excited to I'm excited to end this journey. I mean, this is this is now the third the third cinematic universe you and I have have done this with, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it is. We're becoming we're it becoming is. experts at how whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool, 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 cool. All right, we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.